Welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast. I am your host, Emily Priestley. I am a certified dog trainer through the Academy for Dog Trainers and a dog behavior consultant through the IAABC. I want to thank everyone for the support after the podcast launch. I'm happy to report that we had more listens to Jean's episode on Fetch than I expected for the entire first season. This week, we are shifting gears, and I'm talking to Beth Bigler. Beth is a double-certified pet loss grief counselor, a certified pet chaplain, and a certified end-of-life animal companion doula. She works with individuals and families before, during, and after the loss of their beloved animal companions. She's also known for her amazing Instagram account, at Honoring Our Animals, where she shares daily content and tips about pet loss grief, which are a unique blend of humor, compassion, and telling it like it is. She works closely with animal care workers, veterinary professionals, and other industry brands on grief training and awareness. And for my SPCA friends, she works with us as well. This is a special episode very near and dear to my heart because Beth is also my pet loss grief counselor after I lost my Belgian shepherd, Zelda, earlier this year. To say I met Beth at the lowest point in my life would be an understatement. And recently, a dear friend lost her own dog, Romy. Romy was an adorable Boston Terrier and was a foster of mine many years ago. When I needed to find a home for her, I reached out to a contact I had and they instantly fell in love with Romy and adopted her. From there, Romy's adopter became an employee when I managed the shelter and later one of my best friends. Another dear friend is also going through the loss of her Brittany Spaniel, Scarlett, who was full of life and was Zelda's best friend. This episode is dedicated to Zelda and Romy and Scarlett. They were all fantastic dogs who gave us all so much joy and love. This episode is supportive and carefully unpacks pet loss, but please take care while listening. Good morning, everyone. I have Beth with me today. And um, Beth, you're not just the average podcast guest for me. So I think it's really important for the listeners um, if we can start by introducing how we met. And I was thinking about it this morning when I was getting ready. And you actually came into my life um, on a day that I think most of even the people who are closest to me didn't experience. And that was uh, I would say a day or two after I lost my dog Zelda, not to be confused with your cat Zelda. So um, for listeners, we also have, um, we, we both have uh, Zeldas in our life, but I lost Zelda back in January, um, as many of my listeners know, to complications from epilepsy that we had dealt with for three years. And I have been through a lot of loss. I have been through a lot of pet loss. Um, I am also a death doula who works with clients around, you know, what to expect and things like that. And I thought that I was prepared, but I found out the hard way that I wasn't. And I also found out, I guess, in the process of that, that all of the things that I thought that I was doing in the past that were like me thinking I was coping with these things really well, um, I wasn't. And I think that I had been burying a lot of uh, all of the past losses and things like that. Um, and I just hadn't coped with those things. So when you and I met, um, I was probably at one of the lowest points I would say in my life. And that's how you came into my life. So I do want to be really clear to listeners that we will be talking about, 
I'm, I'm not, we're not going to be talking about graphic details about, um, you know, death and things like that, but we will be talking about human loss and pet loss. I will be talking about some of my own journey. Um, so please take care when listening. Um, but I did want to just recognize that, um, you're not just the average guest. You actually have been my counselor. <laughs> so yes. Um, and one thing that happened during our um, sessions was you would take a moment at the beginning to um, recognize Zelda and you would light a candle and bring um, a moment. There was a, like this moment of peace and you would bring, you would welcome Zelda into the conversation. And um, what I would love to do today is if we could start with one of these um, moments, one of these moments of connection, and maybe we could recognize all of the listeners um, pets as well that will be hopefully joining us from wherever and however. I think that's a great idea. And um, I encourage anybody listening um, to just take this moment for yourself, maybe take a couple deep breaths. And you know, you're inviting in with that breath, some light and love and peace. And um, as you exhale, just exhaling any anxiety you might have any sorrow, any pain or grief. And here I am lighting a candle for all of us, anyone who is grieving or anticipating a loss, or anyone who's living with an animal they love, because this candle represents our beloved animals, and it also represents our grief, because the pain of this kind of loss is intense, and so it reminds us of the depth of love you know, for our beloveds. And we're also lighting this candle today to represent our courage, the courage we have to confront our sorrow, and the courage we have to comfort each other through this. And of course, we're lighting this candle in memory, in memory of beloved Zelda, Emily's Zelda and my Zelda, mm -hmm. and uh, in memory of all the times that we laughed and cried and had silly fun and had struggles together. We remember our beautiful lives together with our animal companions. And of course, we are lighting this candle for love, and we cherish the special place in our hearts that will always and only belong to our animals, and we thank them for the gift that their living brought to each of us. And we're also lighting this candle for hope. It does remind us of the love and the memories that are ours forever to keep. So may the glow of this flame be a source of hopefulness now and forever. To our beloved animals, thank you for your gifts and guidance and lessons and teachings. We love you. We miss you. And we honor you today and every day. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. I remember when you did that in our first session, I was a little taken aback because I I think part of my issue was I didn't face my grief the way that I probably should have been facing it. And so my concept of dealing with things was to push it down. And the way that you approached even those little moments in our sessions were uh, really healing for me because it it sort of forced me to start to look towards um, what I was dealing with rather than, than away, but in a way that is very supportive and beautiful. So thank you so much for starting with that. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for being so open. You know, um, many times I'm working with people who have never talked to anyone about grief before or who've never experienced a major loss before or who've never done any kind of counseling before. And so it takes a lot of bravery to come and, and be in that space and to face um, all of this and to be open. So thank you for being open um, to kind of doing things a new way for yourself. And actually, that might be a good place to start. You know, yesterday I got a message from somebody and they said, I don't know what to expect. I think I need to work with someone like Beth 
but what does that look like? What does that mean? Will we be talking about, will I be talking about my pet loss or how does this work? How does grief, you know, pet loss, grief counseling work? And that made me realize, I think I've always known that we, I think there's a stigma against sort of seeking out any kind of help in many ways. So counseling, um, therapy and things like that. Um, But I think we also, in many cases still in 2023, have this idea that um, working with a counselor, working with a therapist is like you go to, you know, it's like your father's counselor with like the dark walls, which if for those who, I mean, I wish you could see um, the wall behind Beth, like we're talking color and beauty and there's just so much going on. Um, but, you know, you go, we have this image of these dark walls, the leather bound books, the dark leather couch, you you know, this, the man wearing the sweater vest. Um can you just guide us through, for those who have never heard of this before, what is pet loss grief counseling? And I guess, how does that differ from, um, because you have a lot of things in your uh, in your background as well. Um, what is pet loss grief counseling and what could somebody expect from working with you? This is a terrific question um, because so many times people are like, how is it different than therapy? Or, you know, will it will it be like work I've done before, et cetera, et cetera? Or I've never done anything before, what to expect? So I really appreciate this question. And of course, I can only speak for the way that I work. And I know now, I'm um, having done this a long time, that I work quite differently than many other <laughs> types of grief counselors. So I can only really speak for how I um, work. But um, the headline is, I am here to support you or your family or you as a couple before, during, or after, or all um, the loss of your beloved animal companion. So what I'm here to do is to give you a super validating, non-judgmental space where we can really get into what's going on with any of the big feelings you have coming up. Your guilt, your anger, your sadness, your shock, your anxiety, your disorientation, your sorrow, your fear. I'm going to be here to validate those feelings, and I'm going to be here to give you concrete tools that you can take away and implement immediately to help your coping. So my number one priority is where are you having the most trouble in your day-to-day? What's bothering you the most? And what tools can I give you to support those? And I'm going to give you a lot of very practical, hands-on things to do and to try. Maybe I'm going to give you a couple things that are like woo-woo or weird, but whatever. I want you to try all of them because grief is mysterious. We don't know exactly what's going to feel most supportive to you. So I like to give people a range of tools and ask them to try a lot of different things. There are so many things we can step up and do to support our grief. We can help our brain, our neurons, you know, we're going going nuts. Emily, we talked about that in our work together. Your neurons need support. We can do that um, through, through different tools and support. Your heart needs support. Your spiritual life needs support. Anything where you're having trouble, I'm going to step up and give you things to do and to try. I'm also going to give you a lot of homework. I'm going to give you a lot of writing uh, exercises. I'm going to give you reading assignments. I want you to learn more about grief. I want you to learn more about what the research shows that can be helpful because most of us don't know much about grief or death. We're in a super grief illiterate culture. So I want to educate you about that. And for some of the deeper stuff that comes up a lot with pet loss, guilt, number one thing people come to me with is guilt. I got a lot of ways we can move through that, process it, and dial it down. Um, Sometimes people struggle with intrusive thoughts, flashbacks, things like that. We can work through that. So whatever it is you have coming up, um, I'm going to give you things to help you help yourself. Also, another piece of the work is strengthening your relationship with your beloved. So it's a big priority to me that you feel more connected 
to your animal so that you feel um, like you know how you want to ritualize them, how you want to memorialize them. And most importantly, I want to teach you how to maintain a continued connection with them. Because I know that your relationship with your animal can continue to evolve, it can continue to expand, and it can continue to be there for you as a support. That relationship is never going away, and I want to help you foster that and feel confident about it. And unlike therapy, where you go in for years and years and years, my work with people is short-term. You know, I typically work with people for three to six months average um, in weekly sessions. So my goal is to give you confidence and tools and make you feel capable that you can adjust back into your daily life and re-engage with your routines. So um, that's a, that's a big difference with with therapy. And another big difference is, frankly, you know, in our first sessions, I'm not going to be like, tell me all about your childhood and all your traumas. <laughs> I'm not going into your past. We are here to talk about your animal, talk about your relationship with your animal. And, um, you know, we are striving to help you feel, you know, really focus on your grief about your animal. It's not to say that other stuff doesn't come in sometimes, because of course we all have a past and we all have families of origin and we all have things coming in, but that is not the focus. And a lot of people I know who go to a, a traditional therapist, they go in and the therapist says something like, well, it's, it's, you know, this isn't really about your dog. What's it really about? <laughs> and right. actually uh, therapist, I love, I love therapists, but I beg to differ. It is about your dog. And that's what we're here to talk about or your cat or your bunny or your horse or wh whoever it is. So, um, those are some of the things, um, to expect. And then other things, you know, people come to me with other things sometimes, um, or that this comes up, you know, exploring, I'm thinking about welcoming a new animal into my family. I'm not sure how that feels. Can we do some work on that? Um, you know, or, um, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, an upcoming anniversary. Can we, can we meet and, you know, figure out how to do some, you know, memorializing around the anniversary. So it's very customized. I have no standard curriculum, whatever comes in, comes in very personalized. And, um, most, most of the time it's the most fulfilling, wonderful, deep work that people do. It certainly was in my own experience and it's absolutely transformative, um, work. And I love every second of it. I love that. And when you were talking about other, you know, the, sort of the traditional idea of like, this is about your childhood. Tell me what's really going on. It's not about your dog. You know, that really, I guess, when I think about that, it really minimizes the idea that these, that this could be enough. It can just be that we lost something very close to us. Um, and I think definitely in our society, we still have this idea that it's, for not not for people in our circles, but certainly there's this idea that it's just a dog. You can go ahead and get another one. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. Um, so when we're talking about pet loss, how would pet loss differ from human loss when we lose someone, you know, like a family member? For example, in my experience, the, the only person that I had really lost that um, I guess was close to me prior to Zelda was my grandfather. And I love my grandfather very much, but he wasn't a day-to-day -day part of my life. He didn't get me through a pandemic when my life was at the lowest and I was stressed and concerned. He wasn't there for me 24 hours a day. So what does it look like? What's the difference between pet loss and human loss? And how what could we expect there? Well, of course, the answer to this question depends on the pets and depends on the humans. <laughs> I just, you know, always like to, to blanket say that. But for most of the people that I work with, the relationship that they had with their animal companion was the most intimate, the most loving, the most tender of their life. The physicality of their relationship, the proximity of, of the relationship, the understanding, the loyalty, it's absolutely unmatched. And with humans, um, a lot of times our relationships with even our favorite humans can be complex. Our favorite humans can let us down. 
Our favorite humans can lie to us. Our favorite humans can make us feel bad about ourselves. Our favorite humans can have unrealistic expectations of who we should be, right? And our animals provide a safe, non-judgmental, accepting space. For many of the people I work with, their animal was the only person in their life who ever made them feel like they were truly enough. And because they are so entwined with our daily routines, hundreds of times a day, we're thinking about our animals in a way that we aren't if we, you know, if our parents live far away or, or even our children live far away or, you know, our grandparents, right? So it's a combination of the amount of interaction, the intensity of the interaction, the routine, plus the unmatched support, love, and absolute, you know, acceptance that in my view, makes this type of loss oftentimes harder than other types of human loss. Um, and there are uh, some research uh, studies uh, that have uh, have been done on this and certainly validating that this type of grief can hit very deeply. And I believe that as we continue to change this conversation, normalize the intensity of this grief and empower people to speak out about their grief and empower people to show up for others in their grief, that hopefully we're going to get to a place culturally where this is a much more recognized type of grief than it is now. Wow. So one thing that I noticed when I lost Zelda was, and I I hadn't thought about this going in, um, was I had to relearn my life without her. So she was with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, aside from the odd trip to the grocery store, or if I took my other dog out somewhere where she couldn't go, she was really with me 24 seven. And that was because of her epilepsy, because I didn't want her to be alone if she had a seizure. Um, But I hadn't realized just what impact that would have after. I was so used to her being there um, that I really had to get used to that along with everything else, which is very, very hard. Um, but there was also other things that came up for me that I wasn't expecting. So I'm, uh, generally a very, uh, grounded, I could like to consider myself a very grounded person. I'm very, um, I would consider myself sort of spiritual if I had to put, you know, a label on it, but, um, mostly I'm very scientific and very, like very to the point and very factual. And when I lost Zelda for the first time, and I had never experienced this with other losses, I had moments where I really did not even feel like myself. So an example would be for quite a while after I really had this overwhelming feeling that I would be able to suddenly go back and make 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 a different decision or stop what had happened or that mm-hmm. I could bargain with you know, some God or some entities out there somewhere that I could bring her back. Like if I do, if I'm a good person for the rest of my life, like, can you bring her back? And there was these moments where I really felt like that might be possible. And that was very, um, very disorienting because it's not who I normally feel like. Another thing that came up for me was physical pain. And so lying on the couch, I would put a blanket on me and it hurt. I, my body actually ached. And I don't mean in the way that like, I was there, there was a deep longing there and like that physical, you know, grief, but in a different way, this was like physical, my body actually hurt. And when we talked, you told me that was normal. And to be honest, I thought I was losing my mind. Like I didn't know that was normal. So what are some things that people might expect to have crop up like that? I think the, the, 
biggest sort of bigger picture thing is that we don't necessarily expect all the different aspects of our life that are that where we're going to have symptoms and be affected, right? Um, certainly, you mentioned the physical realm. The, the physicality of grief is so intense and so unexpected. So many people I work with have ended up in the ER because they're having chest palpitations or headaches or they're afraid they're having. The, the brain fog that happens with grief is real and intense. You might notice you're making mistakes. You can't spell words correctly. You're you know, driving to the wrong store to get something. That's a very common thing. And in the physical realm, um, this affects everybody differently. A lot of people have stomach issues, stomach pain, trouble eating, um, headaches. Uh, some people report increased sort of allergic reactions or sensitivities. Um, some people have a real tightness in their throat or their chest or, you know, all the shortness of breath a lot of physical symptoms. And I always say to everybody, be prepared. Your body is going to express a lot of grief physically. And obviously go see a doctor. Always when in doubt, go see a medical professional, but also know that some of these things are going to be happening. So really um, honor that. And you know, one thing I'm a big advocate for is rest in grief. And so many of us, not wrongfully, it's just a thing we do is we we push, we go, we distract, we we're trying to, you know, keep ourselves really busy and we don't rest, and that increases our physical symptoms. So rest is really important, especially the first you know month or so after your loss is to allow your brain time to recalibrate, allow your body time to recalibrate, and allow some of these physical symptoms to move through. So definitely the physical side. And of course, on the emotional side, um, there's tons of different big emotions that can emerge and they can emerge at different times. So shock and disbelief and, of course, guilt and anxiety and anger and regret and sadness and sometimes relief or release, you know, so all these big emotions flowing through us that people aren't necessarily prepared, the, the variety and the intensity. And then cognitive. We have so much going on in our brains, um, and I'm really big on brain science, and I'm really big on trying to understand what happens to our brains in grief because it's an area that none of us really think about, but we can support. And so you got to understand that your brain is also discombobulated. You might have trouble thinking. You might have trouble absorbing information. You might have trouble making decisions, and that's okay. But we want to um, honor that and, and make space for that and make things easier, lighten our loads for that. Another realm that you just mentioned, Emily, the social realm uh, or the spiritual realm, I'm going to talk about the social realm, the spiritual realm is another big one. Um, you may start getting some spiritual questions. Um, you may start asking why. You may start doing that bargaining, right? And um, it's one of the reasons I did training to become a pet chaplain, um, which specifically that's training focused on providing spiritual care to grievers. Because in my experience, it doesn't matter if you have no spiritual affiliation whatsoever or no beliefs or if you have a very set religious belief or anything in between, questions come up. And so that it can be very spiritually um, uh, profound for people as well. And then socially, uh, like I mentioned, um, there's a lot of social things that go on uh, in the picture. Um, so may maybe we have, uh, some of our relationships have suffered as a result of our caretaking for our animal, or maybe in our grief, we find it very hard to keep up our friendships or relationships. And the social realm is a place where a lot of people feel a lot of discomfort and they're not expecting that either. So those are some of the biggest areas where symptoms are, are going to appear. Wow. And I remember, you know, I was surprised when we spoke the first time and you said to me, make sure you drink a lot of water. This is a physical, this is going to have a physical toll. I had never um, heard that before. I didn't know that. And when we talked in our, um, our chat a few days ago, I was saying to you, I'm 45 years old and I didn't know that grief 
presented this way. I didn't know that I could expect these things. We really just don't, I don't think, have an idea. We're not, we don't do a very good job, do we, of talking about these things and teaching about these things. We also talked about different types of grief. And one of the things that you had mentioned was the idea of anticipatory grief and that you work with your clients through that. Can you tell me what that is and and shed some light on it? Absolutely. Anticipatory grief is, um, you know, one of my favorite uh, pieces of the work that I do. And it's the way I got into this in the first place, because I started seeking out anticipatory support when my soulmate, Kat Arney, um, had his first cancer diagnosis. And anticipatory work is just incredible because it allows us to help the preparations for this event that's going to happen. So anticipatory grief comes up when um, we know that our animal has some sort of diagnosis like a cancer, like um, heart failure, kidney failure, something um, along those lines that we can anticipate the death is going to come. Now, some people say, well, doesn't anticipatory grief start the minute I bring my animal home? Perhaps, <laughs> you know, for some people, yeah, you may be dreading I the day. That. But yes. when we talk about anticipatory yeah, of course. And it's good to have that awareness, right? But um, when we're really thinking about anticipatory grief, we're really thinking about, you know, having this sort of, um, you know, end in mind. And I always like to um, say about anticipatory grief, really validate that this is very real. This is very difficult. Um, anticipatory grief really impacts us um and in some ways, it impacts us differently than post-loss grief because you are you are coping with the fear of life without your animal. You're coping with that fear of, will I ever be happy again? You are wanting to fight for your animal, come up with good medical treatments, figure out you know how to get these meds in or this new routine in. Um, people in anticipatory grief also struggle with feelings of, I just want it to be over or wanting some relief from all of this. Some, and sometimes um, the, the question of when is it going to happen is, is just looming and it's very scary. And so um, anticipatory grief has a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of powerlessness. And um, that combined with caregiving for a sick animal can really leave people very burnt out. Um, and so that when the loss occurs, they are completely depleted and it makes their grief even tougher to move through. So um, when I work with people on the anticipatory side, we do a lot of work on a practical level of what can we do to support and center your beloved? What kind of death do we want to create? Um, how do we make decisions about when it might be time for euthanasia? You know, it's not, I never am going to tell somebody when I think it's time, but helping people work through that process on their own to figure out what they need to answer within themselves to kind of help make that decision. And, um, also, helping people take care of themselves in this anticipatory period and making sure that our self-care is really in check so that not only we can be strong for ourselves, but that we can show up better for our beloved. So the anticipatory um, grief work is very powerful and very important and can really make a difference between you know, somebody's relationship to their animal's death um, because they've done this preparation and they feel very ready. None of us ever feel ready. None of us ever want this to come true. But if you've done a lot of work on the anticipatory side, you are going to feel very confident that you have done everything you could to give your animal a wonderful death. I One thing that I noticed, so you talked about medical, taking care of a medical animal. And that was obviously with Zelda, that was me. Um, and 
one thing that I experienced after her loss was uh, letting go of a lot of that. So there was the loss of Zelda, but then there was also in many ways, this relief that it was no longer, I didn't have to like carry this constant low grade stress of, you know, is she going to have a seizure when we're outside? Will she have a seizure when she's in the water? What if she has a seizure and I have to manage the other dogs? And there was a lot of just day to day, low grade stress that came with managing her medical condition. And then after the fact, feeling um, that gone, there was guilt that I felt relief. There was even, you know, guilt around little things. So she always slept in the same spot with her back pushed up against the wall and the wall would get dirty. I had a very, very hard time washing the wall because I felt guilty that I was washing away, you know, this last little bit of her, the, the sign that she was physically here. Guilt also came up a lot when I was talking to people on Instagram before we um, restarted this podcast, asking people what, you know, if there was questions for you, um, I would say guilt came up in almost every question. So why is guilt, where, where does the guilt come from and why is guilt so common and what can we do about it? Well, guilt is the number one thing that people come to me with and uh, the number one thing that they're hoping to be able to move through because it can be very oppressive and it can get you really stuck in your grief. And the truth is a lot of times we get really stuck in our guilt and we don't even get to feel any of the other feelings that would be helpful to feel in our grief. I think there's a very obvious, um, one obvious component here is that because our animals really are our entire responsibility, we are their guardians for their whole lives. And um, we do have to make decisions for them because they cannot speak to us. Um, we feel very responsible for them. So anytime we're very responsible for something, we're going to always be kind of second guessing, am I doing the right thing? Because they can't tell us, unlike humans, where if we've had conversations, you know, how do you feel about life-sustaining measures at the end of life? What kind of quality of life do you want to have? have, you know, at your end of life, you know, we can talk to our humans about this and, you know, we don't have those same conversations. So I think there's a lot of pressure um, because of the responsibility. And there's also a lot of pressure because of the nature of the relationship. How do you possibly make an end of life decision for an animal who saved your life? We owe so much to them. We feel such deep gratitude to them. And so it's an extra layer of pressure feeling like I have to absolutely be perfect for them because they have been so perfect for me. So I think those are, you know, some of some of the reasons. Um, also, a lot of people I work with, just like a lot of people listening right now, are hard on themselves to begin with. They have a very loud inner critic. They are perhaps a bit of a perfectionist, high achiever. They like to be in control and have things go their way, and they work really hard to set up, you know, things for success. And the problem with a lot of our animals' um, deaths is that. It's largely out of our control. We are largely powerless over it, and there's really not much we can do. And for some people, a big aha moment right now. <laughs> you know, uh huh. <laughs> right, and so, um, so you know, if you're already kind of hard on yourself to begin with, the the pet loss that you experience is kind of like the Super Bowl for your inner critic to step up and be like, "Woulda, coulda, shoulda." What if you had? Why didn't you? Whatever. Which is not to say that sometimes we don't make mistakes. And sometimes we do things that were not the best choice at the time. I'm not abdicating anybody from guilt, but a lot of the guilt we feel, most of the guilt we feel is actually not real. And if we fact check it, we actually didn't do any harm. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that in the middle of your grief, in the middle of all this and in your sorrow, 
it's very hard to decode any of that. It's very hard to work through any of that. And so, um, you know, it, it really does help if there is a professional involved who's an expert at guilt and de-guilting <laughs> to, um, to really help you work through the things that you feel guilty about step by step and process those. And that's, I spend a lot of time doing that with my clients. And what I say to people is guilt is not a bad emotion. We have no bad emotions, even anger, you know, our emotions show up to try to teach us something or remind us about something or help us figure out how to navigate it in the future. And so, you know, a lot of times when guilt is showing up, it's trying to like teach us something or remind us about something. And so, you know, we, we want to not just say, well, I, I, I don't want to feel any guilt. I don't want to have any guilt. Go away, guilt. <laughs> that, that's not, that's not the best move. But what we want to do is find a way to kind of dial it down to a manageable level. And that's the work that I do with people. So, you know, like for me, in my own experience with Arnie's death, I have some things that in the very beginning I felt guilty about and that I wish had gone differently and that I wish I had done differently. And working through those, I'm able, I, I still carry them. They still ping me every now and then. I get a little ping about them, but they're at a very manageable level for me that I'm not sitting around all the time saying it's all my fault. And I'll tell you something very honest about this that is hard to hear for some people. So buckle up. Sometimes it is more comfortable for us. It's a safer and more familiar space to be spinning in our guilt. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? I should have done this. It's all my fault. It's sometimes that's a safer place because we've been doing that our whole lives, the way we talk to ourselves, than to feel what's going on below our shoulders, below our brains, and then to feel that grief in our body and to sit with it. It is easier for a lot of my clients to say, I know this has to be my fault. I must have done something wrong than to say to themselves, what you're going through is really hard. I'm here for you. I love you. I'm so sorry you're hurting. Wow. You know, that's one thing that I carried for a very long time. Um, I've dealt with a lot of pet loss. I've dealt with a lot of animal loss through my previous job at the SPCA. And I constantly carried this concept for myself that if I let it go or got over it or is able to work through it that I was letting those animals down. And I really had this deep ingrained idea that if I carried, you know, anger, perhaps, or resentment or um, sadness about what they had been through, that I was somehow honoring them. And I always thought that that was somewhat healthy. <laughs> and it wasn't until I worked with you that I realized I don't have to do that. I can let that go. And it isn't, it isn't letting them down or, and, you know, to be honest, it was really hard sometimes because I would see other people, you know, laugh afterwards or move on afterwards. And I would, I would feel resentment because why, why are you able to do that when we, if we laugh or we feel happiness or we're not constantly plagued by it, we're forgetting them or we're letting them down. So it's, well, and that's where, yeah. Oh. Sorry, such an important point. And I'm glad you said it because this is where, um, because we don't know anything about, you know, grief and death and, you know, this is where the connection piece, you know, which is a big thing I always talk about maintaining your connection, evolving your connection. Um, so many of us believe that staying in the guilt or staying in the pain or the anger keeps us connected to our animal. And if we are able to release some of that or move through some of it, or most importantly, number one, offer ourselves self-compassion, which is one of the biggest help that you can give yourself for guilt. Many of us believe if we do that, then we are somehow lessening our intensity of connection. And so many people also stay in the guilt mode and in the the acute pain mode, not intentionally and not because they don't want to move through it, but because they think this is how I feel closest to my beloved. 
And one of the things you can do to help yourself is to find other ways to feel connected to your beloved and find other ways to have rituals where they're included and to keep them included in your life as a constant and a collaborator, which doesn't involve pain. Because at the end of the day, your relationship with your animals had nothing to do with pain. Your relationship with your animal has to do with joy, has to do with connection, it has to do with laughter, it has to do with acceptance. And so we want to we wanna connect with our animal on all those things. Pain really was never part of the equation, and there's no reason to start now in your loss. Yeah, I mean, where were you 10 years ago? I could have used that pep talk going into everything, but... You know, it really is a, it was a big thing for me. I think in the, I'm pretty sure if I think back, you had left me a voicemail before we started working together and you said, um, you know, my goal is going to be to, one of the things you said was my goal is going to be to have Zelda still part of your life. And that I was like, how is this? What is, what is this concept? Because I really felt like in the past, I really felt like it was about compartmentalizing everything and tucking it away and putting it in a drawer and, you know, moving on, that that was the resolution or that's what I was, that was the goal. The idea that I could still have Zelda as part of my life and not in a painful way, not in a, you know, I can't move on and be happy way was, again, I'm I, I'm surprised that I'm learning this lesson at 45. I think that this is something that I should have been taught way or much earlier on. But, you know, that's it. That also takes me, though, to the next point that I wanted to bring up, which is like, I am still not clear when I think about and and I'm I, I would say I'm at a point now with Zelda where I feel like I can like things are back to normal in a way that, you know, I she's part of my life. I miss her dearly. There are definitely moments where it's very acute and it flares up. Um I still, I still sometimes deal with things like um, intrusive thoughts. So I do think sometimes very vi vividly about her last day. Um, but for the most part, I feel like it's resolved. I feel like we're at, a, I'm at a place where my day-to-day -day life isn't impacted by this anymore. And I can, and I can be comfortable with this moving forward. But that got me thinking like what what does resolved grief look like or what is the end goal like what could somebody expect in terms of oh and actually that's another thing that we did talk about before you had mentioned you know if somebody is 10 years out from grief and they are still experiencing hardship to the point where it's affecting their day-to-day -day, day life they probably haven't dealt with it guilty i have been there so my previous dog passed away um, it would be about 12 years ago now. And at 10 years, 10 years out, I was still struggling to the point where it was affecting, affecting my mental health and my well-being. And so that was a big eye-opening moment for me that, you know, I thought that I had dealt with that. I thought that I was coping with that. And there I was 10 years out, still in that acute moment of like being hit by a car and really having not struggled with it. So I'm what would I be now five months out from Zelda passing away it's it looks very different for me now than Daisy's um passing did 10 years out so clearly I did something differently in those in those two uh scenarios but what would what could somebody expect in terms of resolved grief or what is sort of, is there an end is there even an end goal when we talk about grief and dying and death 
Well, I can certainly talk about my goals after I'm I'm working with people. And of course, these are the same goals that anyone can have who's going through grief. You know, what, what you mentioned a little bit ago about I didn't even know that my relationship with Zelda was going to continue is so true. Most of us don't think like that. I mean, most of, you know, in my family, someone died. We put them in the ground. We had a funeral. We cried for a day. We never talked about them again. That was it. And I think many of us had a version of that in our lives. And and that combined with sort of the the pop culture, you know, views of grief, what we see in TV and movies, but no one's ever talking about this. People are still talking about the five stages of grief, which is an outdated and not accurate framework um, for grief. Uh, that was on a study for terminally ill people who were dying, not for grievers. And yet that's the one thing that some people even have heard of about grief. But this idea of like continuing the relationship is a super big grief theory. It's called continuing bonds. It's a real research back to people are devoting their whole lives to it. And yet we still aren't talking about it. And we know that it's, um, especially with this type of loss, like the most helpful thing. So we have a long way to go in terms of even just people knowing that there are other frameworks for grief and other ways to think about grief. And so, you know, each time we have a conversation like this or on Instagram, you know, my Instagram, I'm doing as much education as I can. I post twice a day trying to educate people that, hey, there's another way to go. So I think, um, you know, in terms of the the goals uh, for people or what I hope for people is that I hope that everybody can learn how to integrate the grief into their life. That's my favorite word, really. Integrate or adjust or accommodate it. Because it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to go away. We're going to carry it forever. We're going to grieve forever. We're going to miss them forever. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't wish Arnie were here. Mm -hmm. I miss him and I grieve him. But I have learned how to integrate that massive amount of grief I have around his death into my life. And my goal for people I work with is I want you to be able to think about your animal and feel deep connection, feel warmth, feel smiles, laughter, gratitude. And of course, you're going to feel a little sting that they're not here, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed by sadness and painful memories every single time. That's a big, that to me, that we have achieved something when we can think about our beloved. Someone asked me the other day, what's the one word you think of when you think of Arnie? And it's grateful. Wow, I'm so grateful that. to have known him. I'm so grateful to have loved him. I'm so grateful to have been loved by him. And yes, I wish he were still here and he could have had many more years than he got. But that's how I feel. Another goal I have for people is I, I really want them to have these continued relationships with their animals. I tell people this, and you've heard me say this, I know I feel closer to Arnie today than I did when he died many years ago because it's our relationship has continued. It's amazing to me, and I didn't um, expect this until Zelda passed away. And then um, for those who don't know, I also lost a very dear friend three days after, suddenly and tragically. So I had these two, a human loss and a pet loss back to back, just randomly and tragically. Um, I didn't expect how intimate it was, um, the process to, to, it's, it's really, it was really like getting to know that person and Zelda in a very intimate way that I never, I never saw coming. And I didn't expect just how raw and real. And I, I don't know if I want, if I'm ready to use the word beautiful yet, because uh, it again, makes me feel a bit guilty, <laughs> but in a way that um, it, I felt I, it really connected me to them, if that makes sense. So 
um, that was something that I, I didn't see coming. And uh, it was really a crash course into grief that I don't know that I ever want to wish on anybody. And one thing that I found after, you know, a lot of things that I found on the internet or um, things that people would say was, you know, you'll grow around it. And it's like, there was a lot of, you know, supportive messaging out there. Um, I also would find or try to find connections. So if I saw a raven, it would remind me of Zelda or it would remind me of my friend. Um, but then I hit a point where I would even get resentful for seeing the raven because I was I was like, I don't want to see the raven. I want them back. I don't, you know, I would rather have them than this reminder of them. But I couldn't find, I guess, the beauty in it or the lesson or something that I could take away that made me feel like I had grown, to be honest with you, until I had just recently, I have a friend who just lost a very dear friend to cancer. And for the first time, what I found was I was able to support her and I was able to say to her things that I hope helped. And in the past, I've always been someone who I didn't know what to say to somebody who had lost a loved one. I didn't know how I didn't know how to talk about death. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I was supposed to say I was sorry. I didn't know if I was supposed to say I'm thinking about you. I didn't know what was right or wrong. And after having gone through this, it was the first time where I realized I'm now able to support my friend and her loss in a way that I never could before and I'm going to take that as a blessing out of this entire situation because it's something that I couldn't have done before. So when we're talking about pet loss, that is one thing that I think happens a lot that we don't have support in our workplace. We don't have support in our friend group. We don't necessarily have support in our family. And these people who may mean well, they say very sometimes harmful things to someone who is experiencing pet loss. So what would be one thing that if you were talking to someone who had a loved one or a coworker or a friend who has just lost their pet, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to that person in terms of supporting their friend? Um, can I only say one thing, Emily? God, you can so say many as many things, things as you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a blanket statement that I always like to say to people is, um, treat it as if you would a human loss. So I get people all the time messaging me, you know, my friend's dog died. Is it okay to send flowers? Is it okay to send a sympathy card? I mean, things that we might normally do for a human loss. And somehow because it's an animal, people get real nervous around that. So I always say anything you would do for a human loss, do for an animal loss. And that's a very easy blanket rule that most of us can follow, right? Um, but a couple of other things I like to tell people is, if someone you know is going through this, when you find out whatever day it is that happens, we can all do this because we have great calendars in our phones now, um, set yourself over a weekly reminder for six months on the date of the anniversary, the weekly anniversary, and send a check-in text on that date. Hey, I'm thinking of you and Arnie today. How's it going? Right? Or maybe one of those weeks you send a picture. If you have a picture, pull a picture off their social media and say, you know, you and Arnie are so happy to together in this picture, right? And every week you follow up and then maybe, you know, if that feels too much, do it every month, but make a long-standing commitment in your calendar with yourself and for your friend. Because a lot of people say nice things in week one, mm -hmm. but week four, week six, week eight, week 22, 
No one's asking about your animal. No one's saying your animal's name. No one's telling you they're thinking about your grief. And guess what? You're still thinking about your grief. So a big thing is just continued follow-up, continued support. And, you know, not with no, no pressure to respond. Just I'm thinking of you and I know how much you love your beloved. So I really like that. Um, I also really want to just give a permission slip to any supporter to um, not have any magic words. You don't need any magic words. You don't need to say anything right or perfectly. You just need to listen and hold the space. And it's okay to say, I, I wish I had the magic words to help you here. And I don't, I don't have any magic words, but I'm here. I'm listening. I'm here for you. Um, whatever you need to say, do not try to fix it. Do not try to tell them what to do. Do not offer unsolicited advice. Just really hold the space and, and, and bring up the animal. This is such a thing that so many people have a hard time. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to say Zelda's name because mm -hmm. I don't want Emily to cry. Right. That's going on in a lot of people's minds. Um, some people feel differently, but nine times out of 10, if I said to you, hey, Emily, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're missing Zelda. You want to tell me a Zelda story? How would that feel to you? Oh, amazing. And I think you're right. I mean, after Zelda's loss, I think that was one of the biggest differences between some of my past losses and my <laughs> hers was I was very open on social media about what happened the outpouring of support and the amount of people who reached out to me. And that was one area where uh, I had a big eye-opening moment was I always felt like it was not appropriate to say to somebody, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. I think I had heard somewhere that that wasn't something that you should say, even though we say that all the time. And when I lost Zelda, hundreds of people wrote to me and said, I'm sorry for your loss. And those hundreds of people supported me and helped me through that. And every single one of those messages made an impact, made a difference, made me feel supported. I felt like I was held together by this community of people that I have never met. So I would love if more people talked about it. I mean, you know, I think one thing that we don't talk about enough too is just in the background on many days, I'm thinking about Zelda or I'm thinking about my friend or I'm thinking about, you know, my other animals that I've lost. I go to the grocery store and I see something like her favorite toy and it reminds me of her. And there I am in the pet food aisle. You know, I look fine on the outside, but on the inside, I'm experiencing a moment of grief. And what if that was the day when I got a text message from my friend saying, like, I'm thinking about you and, you know, how are things going? I'm also very fortunate that when I lost Zelda, um, the team of people around me were all people that have known her since she was a puppy. Even when I took her to the crematorium, um, the woman who runs the crematorium was saying, do you remember when she was a puppy and she did this? And do you remember when we had this shelter dog and that shelter dog needed help and Zelda helped? I didn't remember any of those stories, but to hear them brought back so much for me in such a good way. So I, I agree. I think we do a, you know, we really need to do a better job at like long-term support, even just reaching out. I know it made a huge difference for me. Absolutely. And we have so many 
built-in opportunities that are so easy. You know, one of the things that I'm going to say this now, because when this comes out, the holidays will be upon us. The holidays are very, very hard for animal grievers. And so when you find out at any time in the year that someone that you love is experiencing an animal loss, go ahead and order a Christmas ornament for them if they celebrate Christmas or order something um, that they can put out in their thing on their things. Thanksgiving table um, to remind them of their animals, you know, a photo, something. And when the holidays come, you know, wait and send it over around that time so that they know that their animal is being thought of during this hard time of year. Uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's tend to be very, very hard for grievers everywhere. Um, and especially the turnover of the new year, um, feeling like this is a new year that my animal isn't going to see really show up for your grievers around that time. I know it's a busy time for everybody, but that's another time, you know, anytime there's any kind of holiday, any kind of ritual tradition in the culture, um, go ahead and reach out. Another place to reach out is on, on a guardian's birthday. So you may not know the animal's birthday. But for many guardians, their own personal birthday really stirs up their grief. Go ahead and send a card from their beloved to their house for their birthday. You know, mom, I love you so much. Thanks for everything. I'm thinking of you. Love Zelda, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just acknowledging the animal's you know role um, in their life because not a birthday is going to go by that we're not thinking about our animals. So, you know, really use the opportunity of milestones and holidays to check in with your grief, even if you're not able to do kind of the weekly check-in. Great stuff. Well, Beth, um, did we do what we set out to accomplish? I think we did. You tell me. I mean, there's always more. So happy to <laughs> happy to come back anytime and do more. But um, I, I hope that um, we've helped offer some support to people today. And if anyone's looking for more support, um, I encourage all of you come over, visit my Instagram, which is at honoring our animals. I put out twice daily content about pet loss tips and ideas and support uh, to help you move through your loss or to help people around you move through their loss. Um, I also have a monthly live memorial service that I do that many people find very supportive. So every month I put out a call for names. You submit the name of your beloved and your name. And I do a live service where uh, we connect together, we reflect, and I do read the names of all the animals that are included in the service. And that can be very powerful because many of you haven't had the opportunity to have your animals recognized or your grief recognized publicly. So um, I encourage everyone to come over and visit me there. And of course, if you're interested in working one-on-one -on -one with me to move through your loss, uh, you can contact me there as well and we can talk about doing that too. I love it. And I will say, you know, we just talked about, you know, these moments in the grocery store when grief, you know, just their little, little micro bites of grief trickling in. And that can happen countless times throughout the day. But your Instagram is sort of an antidote for me um, against that, that, you know, I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed. And there's my daily reminder <laughs> from Beth that I am normal, that this is okay, that, you know, I can, I can feel and experience these things, but it's, it's okay to also, you know, feel joy and happiness in my life. And so it is, I recommend your Instagram to so many people. Um, I think it's a really good insight too, into what it's like to work with you. Um, again, you're not, you know, my grandfather's, you know, counselor, you're not in a stuffy room. Um, you know, the first time we talked, you swore and I was like, this is, this is the counselor for me. <laughs> and so I really and we laugh, you know, that surprises a lot of people. We laugh a lot too, uh, in our sessions. And that always surprises people. I didn't think I'd be laughing in grief counseling, but we do laugh, you know, it, it's a dynamic human experience moving through grief. And there definitely isn't just one way to do it. 
Well, I think, you know, for me, I think what was great was you're the perfect combination of supportive and I'm going to hold you accountable and, you know, um, and push you through some stuff. Um, and for me, that's exactly what I needed. And I really hope that the listeners, um, even if we just get a few people over to the Instagram, I really hope everyone out there listening, I hope you feel supported. I hope you feel heard. I hope you feel now like you realize that you're not the only one out there experiencing this. You are normal. Um, you're doing a great job. And there are amazing people out there to support you like Beth. So Beth, thank you so, so much for joining me today. And I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk. So anytime. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wild at Heart podcast. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Wild at Heart Dogs, online at wildatheartdogs.com. I work primarily with herding breed dogs struggling with breed behaviors and reactivity, and I have a complete lineup of webinars, classes, and private virtual training options for clients. Artwork for the podcast was by the talented Ethan Beaudry, Theme music by Adam Percy and inspired by Griff, our border collie. Sound editing and post-production was by Secret Clubhouse Sound on Denman Island. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like the show, subscribe and follow and leave a review. If you have a guest you'd like to suggest, please reach out to me at wildatheartdogs at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.